and, and the funny thing is there'd be like four kids on one laptop. So one would be using the mouse, the other one would be typing. So it was just what was happening on screen was quite interesting at the time. You know when you're out with your workmates and it hits a point in the evening when someone says, all right, enough shop talk, what else is going on? And that's where the real conversation starts. This podcast is that conversation. My name is Arma Iqbal, and over the last 20 years leading innovation at companies like Facebook and Deloitte, I've met lots of interesting people. Sure, their day jobs sound cool, but I've always been fascinated by the real-life stories behind the executives. My guest today is Emmanuel Jacquet. Manny is the founder of a foundation that provides clean drinking water and sanitation that's saving hundreds of lives in Myanmar and Cambodia. Here's my conversation with Manny. Manny, welcome to the Enough Shop Talk podcast. How are you doing today? Fine, thank you. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure to chat with you, my friend. So, look, it's traditional on this podcast to start off with our guests introducing themselves in 60 seconds or less, Manny. Can you tell us who you are and what you do for a day job? So, my name is Emmanuel Jacquet. I'm an executive director at Standard Chartered Bank, uh, looking at the customer segments in uh, personal banking. That's my day job. Love it. I love how I give people 60 seconds and um, as soon as you put the time <laughs> basis on there, the intro becomes very pointed and concise, which I like. It's a good way to get to the point. Now, throughout this podcast, I'm going to be calling you Manny, which is, of course, your shortened nickname. Manny and I have known each other for about seven years. We used to work together way back in the day at Deloitte. So, um, yeah, we've, we've followed each other's careers throughout, but also... I'm calling time out right now because, Manny, as fascinating as your day job and your career is, actually, I think the more interesting thing about you is your other life where you're doing some pretty amazing stuff. You are saving lives and you're creating a brighter future for young people in underprivileged communities. So just for context, Manny is the founder of MM Power Foundation, a charitable organization that's training children in Myanmar and Cambodia computer skills so they can work their way out of poverty, which is just amazing. And uh, yeah, again, your your day job is great, but this stuff I think is uh, the most fascinating conversations that we always have. So if it's okay with you, I thought just to get to know you a little bit better, we can play a, a quick game of true or false. Sure, let's do it. First one I'm going to jump into is you've somehow managed to change the lives of hundreds of kids in Myanmar and Cambodia. And yet you don't speak a single word of Burmese or Khmer. How is, is that true or false? Mostly true, yes. Okay, maybe you picked up a few words along the way over the years of working yeah, there right. now. Still pretty cool. And you were one of the first expats to move to Myanmar back in 2012 when the country opened up for the first time after military rule, true or false? True. Fascinating. And probably the more fascinating part is at the time your girlfriend was making making the big bucks and you were actually the trailing spouse. Is that true or false? hundred percent true. <laughs> so I guess the real question everyone wants to know is what's it like to be taken, travel the world to these exotic locations based purely on your charm and good looks? Yeah, yeah I was, I was super lucky. Um, I, I, I did, you know, follow my uh, ex-girlfriend at the time who had a amazing job opportunity and, and I got parachuted in, in that country that was, just opening up and uh, yeah, had to make do. So I, I kind of hustled and bustled and found a few things to do and MM Power Foundation was one of them. 
Well, look, I'm I'm crossing my fingers and holding out hope. Maybe one day somebody will take me traveling around the world just based on those things. But uh, I, I won't hold my breath for that one. So thanks for that. I think we've gotten to know you a bit better. What I wanted to do is get into the first question. And I wanted to set the scene. This is really how I think about things. You know, I'm a big pop culture nerd. So thanks to Marvel movies, the whole world now, I think, has become familiar with superhero culture and all things superheroes, right? Now, in my opinion, the work you're doing in these countries is nothing short of the work of a superhero. You are literally saving lives and you're helping communities to rise out of poverty. Now, one day, if there's some kind of invasion from aliens from another dimension, we'll see if you live up to the Superman status. But in the meantime, I can't think of anything more noble, mate, than the, the work that you've been doing over there. So if there's one thing I've learned from comic books, it's that every superhero has an origin story. Uh, can you tell us yours? How did MM Power Foundation come into being? So as you mentioned earlier, I was living uh, the Vida Loca in um, Myanmar, in uh, Yangon. So, you know, 2012 moved there with my ex-girlfriend and didn't really have much to do, right? It was a brand new um, adventure for us. The country was opening up uh, very slowly, so there were no ATMs, the, the cabs were full of holes, no aircon. It was a little bit like the new frontier when it came to, you know, expat life uh, in Asia. And I I had one or two Burmese friends at the, at the time. And uh, a lady friend of mine said, hey, look, you, you should come and visit this uh, this monastic school um, where where she donated some time and money. So I, I walk into this school and, you know, 2012 uh, Yangon monastic school extremely poor, zero facilities, you know, stray dogs everywhere, garbage on the floor. And I go to this headmaster's office and, you know, start chit-chatting with him, thanks to my, obviously, a friend who could speak Burmese. And I noticed uh, this computer box on the, on the floor that was all wrapped up in, in cellophane. And, uh, you know, it kind of picked my attention. And I, as we were having a conversation, I, I, I turned to the headmaster and, uh, and say, look, what's, what's this thing on the floor there? And he turns around and says, look, it's, I think it's a computer. Some German tourist gave it to us three weeks ago, but, but we don't know what to do with it. And so I was like, okay, that's interesting. And, you know, having, having all the time in the, in the world on my hands, I basically said, look, why don't I come on Monday uh, next week and, and set it up for you guys? He's like, yeah, for sure, let's do that. So Monday I rock up. And they had, you know, set a little room aside, cleaned it all up, put a nice table with a, a red, I even remember like a red velvet uh, tablecloth. They had chopped some fruit, you know, ready on a little on a little tray for me. And it was like they were expecting the, the arrival of Obama or something. Uh, they had rolled out the red carpet and there was the box. And so I, I started setting up this um, this computer. And within a few minutes, you know, like 30 kids just kind of came around uh, to look at, you know, what's this? white guy doing in our in our school and what the hell is he is he up to and yeah this was kind of that moment where you know in life things just happen uh magically i would say where i was just setting up this computer and and i started writing things in word and highlighting them and the kids were like oh wow and you know even the simple fact of moving the mouse the ability to move something with my hand but it moving on screen and i even grabbed some boy's hand and put it on the mouse and moved the mouse and, and, and this thing was moving on the screen and the boy was like, wow. 
So what I did is I tethered my phone and I asked my, my friend who spoke Burmese, I said, look, ask this kid what his favorite animal is. And this little boy, I remember like six, five or six year old boy said elephant. So I said, okay. So I typed in Google elephant and I showed him all these pictures of elephant and they were like, <gasps> it, was, it was literally the first time they saw the internet. And I don't know if you can even fathom what that means, but you know, the ability to say something and, and see it appear in front of your eyes, we take it for granted nowadays, but yeah. So this happened and yeah. And, and I just remember going, what the hell? Like there's something to be done here. And having all the time in my, on my hands at the time, I then walked across to the headmaster's office and I said, look, uh, Uzin, is that okay if I come and teach the kids basic computer skills? And he said, yes, and the rest is history. Look, those kids crowding around, you must have seemed like a magician or a wizard or something. They're saying a word and suddenly it's appearing on a screen. They've never seen a computer before. Must have been an amazing yeah. experience. I can see how that's electrifying and, you know, probably like any drug, you can get addicted to that sort of thing. Hey, I want to come back and be the magician every week. So that's kind yeah. of how you how things started. And then from there, that's kind of what you did, right? Like you promised to come back each week and you kept coming back and the kids kept turning up. I started really teaching the kids with this desktop computer uh, and I, brought, I used to bring my laptop. So I had basically two computers, but I was teaching 20 kids at a time. Um, so it was kind of tricky. So after a few months, I started fundraising and, and basically managed to get enough money to buy, I think it was six or eight laptops and, and set up a proper, uh, proper class room, you know, where we'd have, and, and the funny thing is there'd be like four kids on one laptop. So one would be using the mouse, the other one would be typing. So it was just, what was happening on screen was quite interesting at the time, but I, you know, it was organically happening. So I left, I let it be, you know, committed to this for three, four months and, and really went there uh, every week with a friend of mine who was a translator and would teach him super basic things. But eventually, you know, with my limited Burmese, um, had the luck of meeting a, a local partner who was um, a really amazing guy called Pio. And he's a Burmese, he's a Buddhist, and he's a computer uh, instructor. So he's got a computer training school. So we partnered up and uh, he, he essentially, essentially jumped on the program and ran it ever since. Okay, so you've set up a, a training facility in Myanmar, you've got a bunch of laptops, you've got kids, and now you've got a local partner, you've got some fundraising. So all the kind of building blocks are there. That was back in 2012, you started that. And then, as I understand, six years later, in 2018, you said, okay, where else can we do this? And that's when you decided to expand to Cambodia, right? Yeah. So I was going to run a, a half marathon in Angkor Wat. And I had been to Siem Reap many, many, many years ago, before even going to Myanmar. And I made friends with a guy who worked in an a NGO. And so I reconnected with him and he said, you know, remember that little village where you and I used to do all this work back in 2008, uh, 2008, sorry. And I said, yeah, he said, look, you know, uh, we should go and visit. So I went to visit this little village and, and it just dawned upon me that, hey, why don't we just take what we're doing in Myanmar and do exactly the same thing here? So yeah, in 2018, basically reconnected with that old friend and expanded the, the program into, into Cambodia. I would say, though, the, the two countries, Myanmar and Cambodia, are, are drastically different, right? The, Myanmar, the way we operate is essentially focusing on monastic schools. And um, I don't know if you, you know the, the system of monastic school in Myanmar, but 
if you're a very, very poor family and you can't take care of your children, uh, particularly in the northern states like Shan, Kashin, etc., uh, they send their kids, uh, women, uh, sorry, boys and girls, into these boarding schools, which are monastic schools, so nunneries and, and, and uh, monasteries. And these kids essentially um, live away from their parents but are fully taken care of by the, the monastic system. What tends to happen is they're monks, you know, from two or three years old all the way to 18. But when they turn 18, they become regular uh, people again. So they, they disrobe, we call it, and become a, a regular citizen like you and I and have to find a job. But having had a, a pretty basic education through the monastic system, they, they tend to um, end up having, you know, not great opportunities at, at, uh, at jobs. So the... So the situation in Myanmar is, is that, and, and this is where we saw potential to give these children training to give them an edge later once they become regular people. Um, in Cambodia, it's, it's very different because we operate in rural areas and these are farmers' children. So these are kids that live in, in, um, in places where there's no running water, barely any electricity, uh, no sanitation units. There is a school, but, you know, they, they have to go to school. But during harvest, the parents require the kids to help them in the rice fields. So this has a really negative impact on their education. So really, this, this is the difference between the two countries. Um, but, but what we've done, and, and the similarity, I would say, is they're both Buddhist countries. And, and traditionally, in, in these countries, women are disproportionately disadvantaged by the lack of uh, sanitation, education, and so on. So yeah. we've really ma made a big focus on, on ensuring that there's at least 50% of women in everything that we do. It's great to hear. There you go. That's uh, at the grassroots level. This is where diversity, inclusion, all of these things begin. So maintaining even something as simple as a 50-50 gender mix is, I'm sure, over the long term, starts to create you know, real shifts in some of those more traditional kind of gender roles and, and structures in those sort of societies. That's an origin story worthy of a comic book anywhere in the world. But um, I'll also say my second question then is around some of the dynamics here in Southeast Asia. So I've lived here in the region for about seven years, and I understand at times things can seem difficult just to get certain things done, even in developed countries. So I can imagine in you know, some of the most underprivileged communities in some of the poorest countries like Myanmar and Cambodia, through trying to set up something even as simple as a school and some of the programs that you've been setting up, you must have run into a lot of difficulties and a lot of challenges. So I guess it would be interesting to hear, have there been any kind of moments of failure or points where you saw, you thought to yourself, all right, well, we need to pivot here and we need to change our strategy. Yeah, so, you know, with, with all the, the best intentions in the world, providing, particularly in Cambodia, providing children with uh, computer training is great, right? Um, but we, we had a, a hurdle which turned out to actually be a blessing in disguise. So, obviously, you all remember the pandemic. And in, in 20, 2019, 2020, um, we had all this money to expand the program into Cambodia. But COVID struck and we were... It, it meant that we couldn't run the classes anymore. So, um, you know, the teachers were not allowed to, well, my teachers, the computer teachers were not allowed to go to the village. They were not allowed to mingle and, and so on. But, but the interesting thing is, right about the same time, um, I, I was in Cambodia and I realized that some of the children were, were not turning up for the computer, for the computer training uh, classes that we were providing. 
And so I asked uh, Song Yi, my, my local coordinator, what's going on? He's like, yeah, dude, look, there's half of the kids are sick all the time um, from, from drinking the water. And what happens in those villages is there is no running water and no sanitation units. So they, they tend to get the, the rainwater that just, you know, piles up into some pond and it's, it's dark brown and it's full of stuff. Uh, and, and also what tends to happen is there are no sanitation units. So they, people go and defecate uh, behind a, a bush. Then the rain comes and the rain pushes all of the fecal matter into the water streams. And that's the same water that the, these villagers use for cooking and drinking. So, yeah, after that, COVID struck and it, it kind of, this was the moment where we said, hey, you know what, we've got all this money, we can't teach, let's do something. And we started, so we pivoted temporarily into um, building sanitation units and, and water pumps uh, for villages in Cambodia. Okay, yeah, I mean, look, that's amazing. You're trying to run a computer school, but at the same time, if the kids can't show up because they're getting, you know, uh, gut-borne illnesses and these sort of things from the water supply, there's it's clear that there's a more fundamental issue happening there in the society. So makes total sense. Well, let's pivot and solve the real problem that's uh, holding kids back right at the grassroots level. So, I mean... That sounds simple in practice, but what are the design principles? How do you go about solving for water and sanitation in a community where they've literally been using a, a running stream so far? You have to remember that these are villages in the middle of nowhere. They, some have electricity, some don't. So the, anything you install has to be extremely basic and requires zero maintenance. Um, so, for example, the water pumps are manual pumps, and, and essentially what we do is we drill down to the water table. So that's the underwater, the, the, the water that runs 50, 60 meters deep under the surface of the earth. So we drill down and we install this water pump, and it's basically a manual pump uh, that requires zero maintenance. Um, and this really ensures that this pump has a longevity of up to 10 years. I love this, Manny, because even though this is the Enough Shop Talk podcast, we're not here to talk about work, but you've taken some of the learnings from your career in sort of the world of service design and this sort of thing. You've applied some of those design principles. Hey, there's no running water. These people won't be able to maintain it. There's no electricity. How do we design for those conditions? I love, you know, how you've translated those principles across. Um, so, so far, what are the results then? So we've built uh, two sanitation units and two water pumps in two different villages. And, and that has essentially provided enough water for about 20 or 30 per, uh, people per village. Um, and half of which are, are children, the vast majority of which are children. So these are small villages of between, you know, 20 and 50 people. And a single water pump can, can change the, the entire dynamic of the village. In the short term, we're talking literally hundreds of lives potentially being saved, lives improved. But over the long term, as you say, it's built for longevity. So these are things that will be generational. Um, it pays off in spades over the years and the decades. Now, I'm conscious we've been talking about some really serious things and you're doing some, uh, you know, really important work there. But I think as well as the challenges in life when you're dealing with these sort of things, there must have been some funny moments along the way. Is there anything that you'd call out that's kind of a hilarious moment that just made you take stock and say, okay, let's not take ourselves too seriously. So my, my local partner, uh, coordinator, his name is Song Hee. And so we, we raised, I can't remember, $5,500 at the time or something like that to build this water pump and these sanitation units. And so I, I asked Song Hee, could you help me film a video 
so that we can share it to all of our donors, right? So we had a, you know, close to 60 donors. Um, some were, were corporations and, and people that I knew, some I didn't know. So I just wanted to get a, a vlog uh, from Songhee to say, look, you know, this is what we built and these are the children and this is the, the end result, you know, really to show the donors where their money went. And so Songhee is, is standing in front of the water pump, so he does his thing, it's great. And then he goes and stands in front of the sanitation unit and he says, um, and I remember just pissing myself laughing, he's like, this is the sanitation unit and thank you to all of the donors of MM Power Foundation because now the villagers can shit here instead of shitting in the, in the fields because, you know, before they used to shit in the fields, but now they can shit here. And so he literally said on this video that I was going to use uh, for all my communications, he said the word shit five times. I was like, <laughs> wow, okay. And so, I mean, I, I ended up using it because I thought it was quite authentic. But yeah, it was, it was awesome because I, I was trying to make it really solemn and professional. And here he is saying the word shit five times on camera. It's very different from the World Vision ads that I saw as a kid growing up. They had very dramatic music in the background, very serious. I just think, though, <laughs> exactly. the authenticity of that probably shines through when you show that to an audience. Look, these things can be really heavy topics, but we can't take ourselves too seriously as, as well, right? You've got to take the, the fun stuff with the good. Manny, so moving into my third and final question then. We've talked about what you've done so far. You've done some amazing work. Again, I equate it to a superhero, but let's look to the future then. So having done so much great work, is the plan to just keep doing more of the same or do you have kind of a bigger vision of where this can go from here? Well, I had, um, during COVID, I had a bit of a, you know, lull in motivation generally. Um, you know, I was working from home, exercising, but not so much, watching a lot of Netflix and and I, I I kind of got to a point after I think a year and a half of, of post-pandemic um, where I just thought to myself, damn, man, what the hell are you doing with your life? And so, you know, I asked myself, what's your, what's your USP? What's, your, what, what's unique about you, you know? And, and I kind of decided that, you know, this thing that really drives me, this, this MM Power Foundation that was really, is really successful, and, and it's something that I, I'm really passionate about. I had kind of left on the side for a while. So I, I gave myself a kick in the ass uh, four months ago and said, look, you know, let's, let's reinvigorate this and, and really push it further. So the focus now is, is really a bit more of a holistic approach. It used to be solely focused on, on computer education. Um, but as I as I mentioned earlier, there's no point in giving people fancy computer training if they can't even you know drink uh, water and and go to the bathroom and, and live healthy lives. So now we've got kind of this holistic approach where we provide water, sanitation, and education. And this is kind of a package we want to put together, uh, particularly in in rural Cambodia, where we we, we go to villages, and unfortunately. Um, there is no shortage of, of rural villages in Cambodia that need our help. So the, the focus of the future really is to expand the footprint of our program. So keep building water pumps and sanitation units and computer training programs in more and more rural um, villages in Cambodia. The other focus I would say is, you know, I think we've, what we've done really well, we've trained over 800 kids uh, through, through the two countries, but I think what we haven't done super well is post-training, what, what can we do beyond? Now we've trained you, 
you're out of the program and so what. So I think that the next step is really to identify more promising kids and give them uh, deeper training in, in, you know, in things like CAD, Photoshop, te technical skills that they can actually use even further. Train more kids to become teachers. So we've done this maybe twice, I think, in, in, in Myanmar, where some of our students then become teachers themselves. So that's quite good. It closes the loop. But I think beyond that is, is really looking at uh, local companies to see if we can get some of our children into internships and really push the, the next um, chapter of, of, of this uh, for the kids themselves. That's amazing, Manny, and I, I'm, I'm going to coin a, a term for you, which is hydration, sanitation, education. These are the three things that you've been working on. Maybe we add a fourth one to that, then if you can manage to sort out these internships, let's call it vocation can be the fourth pillar that sort of adds yeah, on like to the thing that you're doing. You can feel free to borrow that one. You mentioned uh, kind of your, as a final thing, your favorite success story so far uh, was a young man who's gone through the program. Can you tell us that story maybe? I get a bit emotional when I talk about him, so forgive me. So, <clears throat> oh shit. So he, he was one of my first batch of students when I was still living in, in Myanmar, and his name was Nargis. And I don't know if you know, if you heard of uh, Cyclone Nargis, but in 2008, this devastating uh, cyclone hit Myanmar. But because at the time they were so cut away from the world, the, the Western world barely heard about it, but it was, it was hundreds of thousands of people displaced Tens of thousands of people died because of that cyclone. And so this, this young boy called Nargis, um, I think he was six or seven, they found him basically butt naked, uh, three meters off the ground, clinging onto his dear life in a tree. And, and he lost everything. He lost his village, he lost his parents, he lost everything. Um, in true Burmese fashion and with the, the, the dry sense of humor that they have, they, they, they decided to call him Nargis. So he's been carrying this name of Nargis the cyclone that basically devastated his whole life ever since. Um, but anyway, this young boy uh, was quite bright and quite, quite, quite a young, nice boy in, in, the, in the monastery. And so he was a monk and through the program, uh, pushed him, pushed him, pushed him, and essentially got an internship uh, about a year in at, at a law firm and he's now doing fantastic things. He's working in internet cafes, he's doing a bit of coding, he's doing a bit of... Uh, graphic design, etc. So, so he's, for me, a, a success story of, you know, you plant a seed and then the, the small tree will, will grow into, into something. And, and Nargis was a very good example of that. You know, we, we just planted the seed. He did all the rest, um, but essentially got himself into, into quite, a, quite, quite a beautiful situation thanks to this. What an amazing story. And I think that's a, a really good place to end because in these stories, sometimes we can get caught up in the metrics and the big numbers and how many this have we done and how many dollars raised and those sort of things. But I think ultimately, let's not lose sight of the work that you're doing really is about human beings who don't have the privileges and advantages that we have. So to hear the stories like that and to, to see your emotion tied up in that is really, I think, impactful. And as a goal, how do we create more stories like Nargis. That's a, an amazing, amazing uh, mission to have moving forward. All right, Manny, we've come to the end. So time for the plugs. Where can people find out more about you, MM Power Foundation? And more importantly, if they want to get involved or make donations, where can they find all of these online? Yeah, thanks. Um, so look, it's very easy. It's MM Power Foundation. So double M Power Foundation.org is the website or at MM Power Foundation on Facebook and Instagram.
and I can vouch for it. it's a very easy website experience, Manny. This is maybe some of your day job bleeding in again. I have been on the website and made some donations. It's a very, very easy process to help and get involved. So I urge everyone out there to at least check it out. And if nothing else, you walk away with a good news story. You some beautiful photos and some stories on all of, all of your social channels and websites that uh, certainly make the heart sing and make for a more positive day. That's all from us for today. So thank you, Manny, again for joining us here today. And thanks everyone out there. Thanks so much for listening. That's enough water cooler chat for today. Let's all get back to work. I'm Ama Iqbal. And I'm Emmanuel Jacquet. Stay tuned and I'll see you soon.